Josh, the founder and general partner of Atento Capital, sitting here at 3CG Studios here in the Arts District of Tulsa, Oklahoma. Thank you to the Hanson Brothers, our hometown heroes, for letting us use your space. And I'm here today with Marvin and Rustin uh, with Pay Factory, and we're very excited you guys are here. Hi, I'm Rustin Miles, founder of Pay Factory, right here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, Michael Bosch and Atento Capital, one of our biggest favorite investors. Thank you so much. Hello, my name is Marvin Jones co-founder of Pay Factory, along with Rustin Miles, and I'm Strategic Partnerships. You two have a truly unique origin story in terms of, you know, starting Pay Factory, et cetera. But before we get there, why don't we start with, you know, how do you guys know each other? Like, how did you guys meet? You know, where, where does it all begin? Well, gosh, shortly after I uh, saw the Hanson brothers play Umbop at halftime <laughs> at the Maybe Center here in Tulsa, I met Marvin. I started my first business uh, doing uh, payments for contact centers and websites. This is around 2000 time frame, maybe. And so that was back when the dot-com boom was happening. And Marvin was the EVP and, uh, and was running at the contact center, my very first client at the time. That's right. Yeah. At 300 direct-to-TV uh, nonprofits and businesses that you're responding to calls for, and you needed my services. And, and then, lo and behold, a decade later, we're working together. That's right. That's right. The company we actually had, um, call center, and we were actually processing credit cards. That, that was back during the days where we would take the credit cards, store it in a file. Scary, right? And then later on that morning, we would actually uh, run the credit cards all at one time. But we needed real-time credit card mm-hmm. processing. And at that time, Rustin was starting his company. We shook hands, did the deal, and the rest is history. That was pretty, pretty far out there. Oh now it's gosh, just table yes. stakes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so and, and tell us a little bit about um, what, what was the name of your, of your last company, you know, how, how did that go? What was the story there? Is that story still going? Yes. Yeah, so I started a company <laughs> called Bluefin, Bluefin Payment Systems. We grew that company up uh, from um, uh, a loan from an uh, uh, exchange bank out here at SkyTuck uh, to number six on the Inc. 500 uh, fastest growing companies in North America. That took about a decade. So call it 2002 to 2012. Uh, we just went through some M&A activity and have grown that company into a brand that serves with payment security and payment processing some of the largest brands in transportation in the world. Southwest Airlines, Enterprise National, Alamo, Redbox, Gap, uh, in the, and, and, and others like this. Um, and so uh, that, uh, that company went well. Marvin um, came over during that 20-year right. life cycle about halfway through uh, to come run strategic partnerships for Bluefin. Nice. And so it sounds like an amazing story. What made, what, what, when did you decide, okay, enough Bluefin, and, and how did Pay Factory come on your horizon, et cetera? Mm. Yeah, good question. Thanks. So we were, um, we were focused on real-time payments, remember, for contact centers, yeah. and that worked out into e-commerce, and we found ourselves doing a lot of things for organizations, higher education, University of Tulsa, other universities here in Oklahoma, and now we work for 440, that company, 440 universities that, that are D1 that we serve. Um, but through that, through that we had um, we'd gone through a major pivot, about 2012, 2013, um, we were looking at the race to the bottom and payment processing, commoditization. You had to have more and more features, more and more stuff, and charge less and less for it and provide better service, and that's not a really winning formula. So we knew we needed to pivot the company to something that would add value to the chain, and that was payment security, or at least at the time I thought it was. So we turn, pivoted the company towards P2PE, or point-to-point encryption, which is now basically in every card device that you tap, dip, or swipe uh, when, you, when you're out there um, 
you know, taking payments. The encryption is just a, another table stake thing now. But that then it wasn't. And it turns out that that would have been the technology that would have started, stopped, excuse me, some of the major breaches like Target. And if you remember there for the last decade, it was a breach a week, something hit in the news, especially in payments. So we pivoted the company to that. Went through that 10 years. So remember, the first year was real-time payments, first decade. Second decade was payment security. And we really started to see that um, the next new thing was taking all of the cool advancements from the payment revolution that some of the uh, folks at the forefront like Stripe and Square and PayPal, who were focusing on micro and nano merchants, real small merchants that might only run a couple transactions a year or have a single event a year, um, and, and are very, very price sensitive on the device, but will pay a lot for the card processing. We, saw, we started to see that some of our larger enterprise brands really wanted that same frictionless processing experience that those super small merchants were taking advantage of, but they wanted to apply it across their enterprises. And we were saying, this is the moment that we take the security and the technologies that we feed out to inter- enterprises that they know and love for them to be able to take advantage of the payment revolution. And so where, in terms of like where you see payments today, like I mean, payments must have changed significantly from 20 years ago and 10 years ago to today. It's like the, the payment space as it stands today. Like, how, how do you think of it? Where is it? Where is it going? Oh, great. So it's absolutely moving from a merchant-centric point of sale. We hear the word POS, right? Point of sale. That was a concept that was synonymous with going to a merchant or a business or a retailer. That's the point of sale. It's on their desktop, their countertop. They're the ones with the screen facing them, not the consumer. And that whole experience is moving towards a consumer-based point of sale. It's my mobile phone. I tap it. I'm not going to give you my card. I'm going to tap my phone. Or there's tokens involved. I can do in-app purchases that are connected with omni-channel transactions on the web or on the phone or, you know, wherever in space. <laughs> so, so the point being that it's, it's completely moving. And as we move closer to consumers and micro-nano merchants who are kind of like consumer plus, they want things that are super easy. You know, they want things frictionless. I want to sign up and take payments now. I don't want to sign up and take payments in two weeks like the big companies do. Totally. They want it, they want my money, you know, in five minutes. I don't want my money in two days. You know, I want it to be free. I don't want to pay any monthly fees, you know. Um, well, the big companies will pay a $25 a month fee for a report. They won't. Small guys want to pay zero. So all of those things are moving this towards more um, consumer-centric payments uh, and more friction models. So I think overall it's, it's growing the industry. It's making it all, as they say, software is eating payments. It's, it, the payments is just getting buried into software more. And that software experience is also moving to better user experience, merchant experiences. And so that's all just part of the revolution, I think, of payments right now. And so when you think of the, the landscape, I mean, you can't help but think of Stripe, right? It's like the big gorilla um, and there's others. You know, when, when the lane for pay factory where you see like, you know, how do you see yourselves as, as differentiated? Mm. Yeah. So Stripe really came on when, you know, we talk about software as eating payments. Well, that means there, there's a lot of software being built. I mean, look at all the companies in your portfolio. I mean, well, a lot of them are software. Yeah. Um, and it's been like that way for a long time. And so when startups are happening, the biggest issue that they have is uh, speed to market, probably, and that's going to be how much the development and programming time it takes to make their software. Um, And also, um, it could be the fact that they um, don't want to pay any sort of committed fees or monthly fees for for the software. So Stripe made it really easy for startups to pull in some objects, make some, uh, make their software light it up. And a lot of those decisions were not being made by the business folks in those. It might have been either the technology co-founder or maybe an outside development company that wasn't even part of the founding of that company. And they're just saying, the easiest way for me to get these to you fastest is using this plugin. 
And the issue with Stripe, though, is, is that at their price points between two, three percent and three and a half percent, that's 300, 350 basis points when the cost of that processing might be 150 to 200. So there's a big spread. So those small businesses in the software behind them are paying for that speed to market. And it's fine right now because the biggest risk they have is going out of business early on and time is their enemy. But you get on about two years out, three years out, you start having success and you start looking at those card fees and maybe all the businesses that are using your software, all the card fees they're paying. And you're like, wait a minute, number one, everybody's paying too much. And number two, what about me? I'm the software guy, not, not, not pay factory, but what about the software vendor? They want to start making money off the payments. They mm. want to share in that revenue. So those two things are that next thing that I think you see a lot of folks coming in droves moving out of Stripe. So Stripe's a great incubator. We kind of think of it like this, you know, get off the ground, you know, and then um, <laughs> once you sorted it out, come to us. Obviously, we'd like them to come to us sooner, but um, that's yeah, kind of the way it goes. for you. I mean, let, yeah. let Stripe have all, you know, not all of them will make it, so let them get the ones that won't, and the ones that do, you can kind of take them after the fact. Yep. So Marvin... Talk to me about how are you spending your time at PayFactory and what are you most excited about? What I'm doing at PayFactory, my role is actually strategic partnerships. So I spend a lot of time talking with our external vendors, as well as internally, I'm pretty much coordinating the team, setting up different meetings, and then coordinating the team. We uh, have a lot of guys that just come together and we get stuff done. Uh, For me, that's pretty much what I'm doing. Working closely with Rustin, working closely with Josh, and pulling our team together so we can get stuff done. Running interference a lot for Rustin. Of course. Rustin, you know, as our CEO, really needs to be head down on the day-to-day. And so I spend a lot of time with our external vendors. Nice. What would you say, um, for either of you, what is keeping you most up at night, or what are you most worried about in terms of the business landscape or anything else? I sleep pretty well at night. But uh, what am I concerned about? Not too many things. I mean, listen, the market is moving really, really fast. But um, our team, we're doing a great job keeping up with it. It's just a matter of us staying balanced and not working too hard, burning ourselves out. We have a hard, hard working team. Uh, I think we do a pretty good job staying balanced, but we just don't want to get burnt out. For the most part, you know, that's the only thing that concerns me, just making sure that everybody stays balanced. How about you, Rustin? Oh, geez, what keeps you up at night right now are the coyotes out on the property, I think. <laughs> Uh, no, uh, I, I guess I'll answer that. What used to keep me up at night was work until 4 a.m. when I started when I started Bluefin, because you know it was me. I was 23, and um, you know I was the programmer and everything, and the CEO and the network guy, the DB admin, blah blah blah. Um, things are different now. I'm not up all night programming. We've got excellent programmers, um, an excellent uh, CTO who's uh, uh, you know led a probably the other most successful um, payment security technology company in, in Oklahoma um, to wild valuations. And we're so glad that he came over to work with us, oh, Justin. Yeah. Justin. Um, so, so those guys are, are doing the programming, but um, really what I'm trying to do at night is get good rest because a lot of what I do is strategic dealing with, um, dealing with the strategic planning, dealing with major closes, dealing with uh, investments, dealing with um, go to market planning and how we're going to make this thing grow. We, are dealing with enterprise size major merchants. So you think of like Chicago Public Schools, which has hundreds of schools, or Seattle um, Public Schools, or you talk about the concerts we were talking about earlier down in San Antonio going right now with, with Nelly and Keith Urban and all those oh, that yeah. are using. So the size of our company is fighting far beyond our weight, which is awesome. But that's a testament to the fact that most of the folks that are with us have at least a minimum of 10 years payments experience. So we've been able to do a lot with a little 
in a very short amount of time and also through a very tumultuous time. You know, you, you look back at the last few years, we started the company in 2020, the world changed then, and it's the best market in the world, the worst, the worst economy in the world, the best economy in the world. People are making decisions that are uh, to maybe do mergers and acquisitions. You've got somebody on the ropes and then all of a sudden they get acquired right at the ninth, 11th hour or um, folks are they're risk averse and holding on to their investments when they might should be investing in payments. They take a wait and see approach. But then you have positive things like coming out of the pandemic where everybody wanted a safe payments experience. So they wanted to tap their phone or tap their card. They didn't want to touch that, that credit card machine because it's got maybe something on it. Whereas people had a safety conscious when it came to making payments. And so it's just dealing with those macro sorts of trends um, in 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 a venture stage of a company. And so those are the things that, you know, keep me up at night is making sure that we are seeing what the trends are actually happening. Because I have to say the the, the two best points of uh, my previous business were during the two worst down economies, you know, sort shortly around 2000, you know, dot com bust when I started it. And then around right after the uh, our next big inflection point was 2010, 2008, 2000, right during the housing crisis. And that's because people shifted payments to the ways that we were um, diff- different, different ways of making payments that just benefited us. And there were banking changes that were made that substructure costs like interchange went down, which benefited us. So being able to be aware of those trends and being able to access those incorporate those in a way that's going to make our company boost and not be blindsided. That's what keeps me up during the day. <laughs> I like it. I didn't answer it right. And, and, um, and so you kind of mentioned that this isn't your first rodeo and that, and that, and that you are doing things differently than the building bluefin back at 23 years old. You know, what would you say, especially because most of the founders in our portfolio in, Tol- in Tulsa, um, these, they are first time founders. And so, you know, you have a very unique background, you know, you built a company to pretty significant size. You've sold it. What would you say are some of the key lessons that you're doing differently this time around that you learned from last time? So when I started the company and, 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 and uh, when I was 23, um, it was a different world. You know, even just something as simple as we need payroll. You know, there wasn't a gusto and 5,000 competitors to gusto. You know, you needed to do expenses. You needed to pay taxes. You needed to do insurance. All of these, I mean, everything it takes to build a business was, you know, look it up in the yellow pages. I mean, we had the internet, but it wasn't as localized back then um, where you could have a lot of folks that were, that were really connected and you could do all that. So I had to, I went through and as a business person had to build all of these kinds of things, me and my early partners, which take a lot of time and learning and getting it wrong and figuring it out and kind of minding smaller, more typical business things when we should have been or had more time to focus on the tech, um, and, and, and sales. Thankfully we made some nice channel sales where the channels are selling the new business. And that really helped us early on. So I'd say some of those things are not so much, but I guess the overall point there would be, um, you know, this, you know, we are in the venture portfolio and our investors, um, like you are, are saying, you know, grow, 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 grow the company, you know, don't mind the small stuff, you know, we'll find the right vendors, we'll find the other folks to connect you with, we've done it before, we've been there, but grow the company, make the product better, expand it and all these things. And so I'd say, you know, focus on that. And it's very fun. It was for me, because I'm a technical kind of guy to get involved in the weeds and some of those things, because it was interesting and fun. But it was a distraction early on from growing the company and growing the relationships and building something that can grow. And that's why it took 10 years 
for the first cycle for mm. us to really hit that, you know, of course we made it to number 6,500 after 10 years. So that's good, but still that's a long cycle and we want to do things much faster with pay factory take advantage of, our, of all the things that our, our uh, you know, venture capital investors have provided Spe- us. Speaking of, yeah. So you didn't take venture last time you did this time. Um, yet I forget how, how did we first, how did you guys first find us or we find you? Um, uh, was, was it Marvin? <laughs> Yeah, I, I can take that one. Actually, Chandler Malone. Yes. You may remember Chandler. Chandler actually came to our group. We have yes, a, yeah. guys, some guys that we actually do a lot of volunteer work around the city with. So Chandler actually came and did a presentation to our company. And I asked Chandler, I said, Chandler, let me make sure I understand. Are you saying that you're asking for us to invest in this company? <laughs> or are you saying you're looking for opportunities to invest in? He said, oh, no, 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 no. We, we have... X amount of money, it's a lot of money that we're writing checks from. He said, but um, we're looking for opportunities. And I had just had a conversation with Rustin. That time, Rustin at Bluefin, he was starting to get, imagine this, he was starting to get a little quiet in some of the meetings. <laughs> and uh, there were some meetings that he would not show up at. But I mean, at the same time, I called him and said, Rustin, tell me what's going on with you. He said, Marvin, I got some things I'm thinking about. Payments are changing. I said, we need to talk. So when he explained to me what he was looking at and what he was thinking about doing, I said, we have got to get you together with Chandler Malone. And Chandler said, we met once, and then Chandler thought, I have to get you together with Mike Bosch. So then, of course, that's where the introduction, I think we had you over to the pub out in Broken Arrow. Yes, of course. (laughs) And uh, I think Dozy was with you at the time. Of course, we started from there, right? So it started with Chandler, uh, several meetings with him, and then, of course, you and Rustin. So that's how we got started. And how has been the experience uh, with Atento and, and taking venture capital versus kind of bootstrapping it much more so last time? And how has that been? Well, you know, uh, this time around, gosh, it, it's been a lot better because, you know, as Rustin said, you had to take out a loan last time. Wow, this yeah. time around, we we're able to, I mean, hurry up and get really some qualified staff on that's and right. just run a lot faster. Mm-hmm. So the help from Atento has been greatly greatly appreciate it. That's a great point. That's a great point. The folks that I really wanted to hire back in 2000 and uh, on uh, into that time frame, um, you know, I couldn't do much with a $50,000 loan from no. Exchange Bank yeah. backed by the Rural Cultural Development, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I, I just, uh, I, I could afford me and barely that. So um, some of the early folks that came on, you know, were just taking a chance on me, I guess. And they, Thankfully for our connection at work, but venture capital, you know, working with you, Mike, has been able to just, like Marvin said, put it on the fast track. Again, allow us to focus on pushing those things that are distractions out. Folks, keep the main thing the main thing and grow, grow, grow. I appreciate that. Um, well, look, I, 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 as we wrap up, I would love any, any closing, closing thoughts or advice for some of our first-time founders, especially in Tulsa that are listening to this podcast that, that you'd want to leave with them um, uh, from your journey th- thus far? You know, I'd say this. Um, payments are changing. Payments are changing, and you have to be creative. If you're just looking at the way things have been done in the past, you're going to get behind. You have to take a look at payment facilitation. Again, money's going to, your company, if you're not looking at the way money is moving and the creative ways that it moves, you're going to be getting behind. And just what Rustin said, it, especially in terms of the way software, if you have any kind of software or even the point, point of sale technology you have to take a look at the flow of the money payment facilitation is changing 
the way all of that happens. It's also changing the valuation of companies, and I'll be quick, and then I'll try to get something a little bit more. Very good point. But uh, on on a call yesterday with a major nation national uh, ticket provider online, they're not going to mention their name. They went out to M and A last year and came back, and because they didn't really have payments sorted, and the potential buyers were looking at it and saying, "Well, you really don't own the payment revenue the right way." And also, you're not monetizing it. They actually said, "Go back and fix this, and come back to us." And this was a huge blow to a, to a company that a lot of folks w- would know. Um, and so, of course, they show up on our doorstep like, "We got to fix this payments because investors are not just buying software." In certain cases, not every software deals with merchants and businesses that are using that software. Uh, some of them do, and those that do, the investors are looking at the payments piece is a given. How have you incorporated the acceptance of payments since that's a part of it, if that's a part of it, into your business to maximize valuation? And I, I guess I'd say on the softer points, um, you know, it's it's important to be able to get out. Um, I'd have to say, get out of your uncomfortabilities, right? When I was a kid, I had a stutter. All the uh, other ladies in my life, uh, did all the talking and I did a lot of the listening and stuttering because I could get a word in as wise. I love it. Um, and one of the things, um, you know, mom said to me, she's like, you, you, you'll, you'll grow into it. You, you've got the genes. And she said, um, you know, just go take a job at Dial America doing telemarketing, calling people at 5, 5 p.m. trying to sell something they don't want over the phone. And I, and I just got really good at talking really quick. So I think the thing is, is I, one of the things that I do a lot is engage um, Closing, I think, is a very important part of being able to get that growth, growth, growth. Because you can't just tell somebody, you know, uh, how great an idea is. You got to make it connect for them. And so, get out in the public, get out to these events that that you put on. You know, engage with folks, become a closer. Even if you're not in sales, you're always closing your business. If you're a founder, you're always supposed to be sort of the the one of the sales folks behind it. And so, I would say, just get out, um, be unafraid, and you'll get and get great at uh, communicating and connecting. Marvin, Rustin, thank you so much for joining the Be Atento podcast today. To all the folks listening, thank you for listening, and please subscribe to the Be Atento podcast. Thank you.